you will, take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 11. Revelation is all about that risen Lord that the choir was just singing about. Revelation chapter 11. You know, as we study through these books in the Bible from time to time, it's my, it's my personal heart that pulpit messages on Sunday are not a particularly a place for academic style of teaching because we need inspiration more than we need information. Information without inspiration is lifeless. If you want me to illustrate that to you, James tells us that even the demons know there is one God and believe, but their hearts are not changed, so there's no life. There's death there. Before time began, God set a plan in motion. That plan has been unfolding all through the history of the earth, and it continues to unfold as we walk through the revelation. You know what his plan is simplistically? He wants to spend eternity with his crown creation, that is you and me, because he wants his crown creation, you and me, to be redeemed by the blood of Jesus. The only people who get to spend eternity with him are those who have placed their faith and their trust in Jesus, and he's come in and changed their life and redeemed them. Now, some people will ask, looking at God's plan unfolding, some people will ask, if God's plan is unfolding, why is there suffering in the world? And here's the answer to that. Mankind chose this path when they chose to walk away from God in the Garden of Eden. Well, why should we suffer for what our parents do? Well, listen, we're still choosing to walk away from God even today. You see... Even though we have gone in our direction, God continues unfolding and, and developing his plan because he still has this desired outcome that you and I, before we close our eyes in death, that we come to know Jesus in a personal way and that we spend eternity with him in heaven. Now let's get to the, to the message I've asked you to turn to Revelation chapter 11, but I want to bring to your attention something that I didn't make a lot of last week. If you'll look back one verse earlier, it's not on the screen. You'll just have to look in your Bible. In the last verse of chapter 10, and they said to me, the angels, the voices, said to John, you must prophesy again about many people, nations, languages, and kings. And here's what I'm going to tell you. This is the renewed call of John. This is a reminder to us that our call to share God's word, our call to share God's message never ends. Never ends. If you look around the world today, you discover that the world needs Jesus. You look in our culture, the culture needs Jesus. You look in our country, our country needs Jesus. By the way, an election is not going to solve the problems of our country. Only Jesus is. So now we come to Revelation chapter 11. 
And in the scheme of the plan that's unfolding as we have worked our way through 10 chapters, I will tell you that chapter 11 is still in the lull time. We've had all, we've had seven sealed judgments. We've had six trumpet judgments. And now it's still in the lull between the what's ne- when the next shoe is going to fall, so to say. In fact, from chapter 10 to chapter 14 is literally a lull in the judgment. And I will just say this to you. You read, if you do any kind of reading, you'll discover that chapter 11 of Revelation is one of the most difficult uh, theologians tell this to, to uh, um, unpack. And yet it holds much truth. So if you will, if you can, would you stand to honor the reading of God's holy word as we read Revelation chapter 11. Remember, John is the writer. We, we found that out. In chapter 1, and then this is what he says. Follow along. This is God's holy word. Then I was given a measuring reed like a rod with these words. Go and measure the temple of God and the altar and count those who worship there. But exclude the the courtyard outside the temple. Don't measure it because it is given to the nations could be the Gentiles. And they will trample the holy city for 42 months. I will grant my two witnesses authority to prophesy for 1,260 days dressed in sackcloth. That's the dress for repentance. These are two olive trees and two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone wants to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and consumes their enemy. If anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this way. They have, the, they have authority to close up the sky so it does not rain during the days of their prophecy. They also have power over the waters to turn them into blood and strike the earth with every plague whenever they want. Whenever they, when they finish their testimony, the beast that comes up out of the abyss, will make war with them, conquer them, and kill them. Their dead bodies will lie in the main street of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where also the Lord was crucified. And some of the people, tribes, languages, and nations will view their bodies for three and a half days and will not permit their bodies to be put into a tomb. Those who live on the earth will gloat over them and celebrate and send gifts to one another because these two prophets had tormented those who live on the earth. But after three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them and they stood on their feet. (laughs) Great fear. Can you imagine? Great fear fell on those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies watched them. At that moment, a violent earthquake took place. A tenth of the city fell and 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake. The survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe has passed. Take note. 
The third woe is coming soon. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, if you will, take your message today and unveil it to our hearts as you unveil your Son to our hearts. Help us hear from you. If someone doesn't know you, I pray once again that today will be the day that they will come to know you. Speak to our hearts. Remove me. Let us hear no voice but yours, no words but yours, no message but yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We have watched the revelation as time has stood still and now we're progressing into eternity. We watched God begin to unfold his judgments As we read this chapter, how in the world do we get a message from here? Well, I'm going to suggest you a couple of things that are very important for us to get our hands on as we think about and our hearts around as we think about God's unfolding plan. Just two easy things. First of all, I want you to see that he speaks about temple worship. Temple worship. Now, in the Bible, anytime the temple is mentioned as it is here, you know that that it's a place of prayer. It's a place of worship. What we see here is John is given a tool, a measuring reed, a rod. And, he, and, and God tells him to do something with it. The truth is that measuring reed is God's plumb line. It is, it is God's standard. And what we need to see as we start looking here is that whatever this rod looked like, whatever the reed looked like, it was an instrument to measure, watch this, by God's standards. By God's standards. Truth is, we kind of like to make our own standards. We kind of like to evaluate in our own, by our own um, measurement. But John has this rule, and he is told to measure He is told to go, first of all, he's told to evaluate, evaluate. And he's told to evaluate the temple, the altar, (laughs) and the worshipers. The temple, the altar, and the worshipers. Now, we talk about the temple. It's hard to get into temple in the short time that we have. Throughout the Bible, if you do your study, there are at least five temples that are resurrected uh, in the past and the future, this temple is probably the temple that is resurrected as a result of a peace agreement when the the first rider, horse rider, came and took over the earth. He is, we know him as the Antichrist. He's now the world ruler. He probably approved the this building of this temple. He might even have funded it. Because you see, at this point, He is right now playing nice, but it's not going to last for long. He has brought peace to the chaos. Remember, after the rapture and everybody is caught away who knows the Lord, chaos ensues. Think about it. Planes crash because Christian pilots disappear. Cars wreck on the interstate because Christian drivers disappear. And in the midst of this, this individual who may be in government today steps forward and brings about peace. And the truth is, is that 
We can get focused on this guy and we'll miss the whole thing. Because you don't want to focus on the Antichrist. This is still unveiling Jesus. Here's what I want you to hear. If we focus right, then we understand that God gave John the reed to evaluate. We know it's evaluation on God's standard. Now that reed, let me, when I, when I read about that reed and rod, you know what I'm reminded of? I'm reminded of that passage in the Old Testament, the book of Amos, if you will. Amos 7. He talks about a plumb line. Now, builders, farmers, you know about a plumb line. Golfers. I was having a fun time playing golf yesterday morning very early, and I got a call that said, three of your deacons are going to play golf. You want to come play with us? And you know what they did when they got on the green? They took that putter and they would plumb that putt to make sure they, they wanted to see how it would roll. You see, that's what, that's what God is doing when he's giving this reed. When he is evaluating according to this plumb line, according to this reed, it's an instrument that checks how straight or accurate or correct something is. Now, here's what we need to take away from this, brothers and sisters, and those outside of Christ. When God puts his plumb line on you, how do you look? When he checks you out according to his standard, how do you look? John's told to evaluate the temple. Is the temple really a place of worship? Is it really a place, as Jesus called and the Old Testament said, a place of prayer? Is that what we see God's house as? A place of worship, a place of prayer, a place where we give honor to Him. One of the reasons we begin our morning service in prayer and Scripture is because in my life, even in those five years I was a director of missions, so I got to visit a lot of churches. It seems to me that we come to church many times, come to worship for all the wrong reasons. God's putting that plumb line on us whether we like it or not because worship is supposed to be a place of prayer. Temple is supposed to be a place of prayer. It's supposed to be a place of worship. God's got the plumb line on us. Then he said the altar. He said evaluate the altar. The altar is a place where you give, not where you get. Where you give instead of you get. I ain't going to church anymore. I don't get anything. The question is not what you're getting. The question is what are you giving? And oh, by the way, you can never outgive God because when you give God your best, when you give God your money, when you give God your time, when you give God your talent, when you give God all you are, He opens the doors of heaven. In fact, Ecclesiastes 11:1 says, "Cast your bread upon the water, and after many days it'll come back to you." You see, we have a God that'll outgive you every time. In fact, if you'll go through the Scripture, when you get stingy. He'll be stingy. Hello? He'll be stingy. He tells John to evaluate. So God, so, so God, through John, is measuring. He's evaluating. He's checking on us at the heart level. How's your heart today? What is there in your heart today? It's interesting as he's telling John to evaluate the temple. He then in verse 2 tells him to exclude. 
there's some things that deserve exclusion. And, and he's particularly talking about, in the terms of the temple, the inside is for the, the Jewish people that everybody knew was God's people. Outside were the Gentiles, which were in Jewish culture, lost people. People who had no connection to Christ. Now, I can go through all history and do an academic view and, and people want to get hung up on history and names, the, the 70th week of, of Daniel and the, the times of the Gentiles and time, time, and, time, and a half time. But when we get caught up on that, we miss the spiritual truths of what God is trying to say to us and has for us. When I read verse 2, and it says, don't ex- but exclude the courtyard outside the temple, don't measure because it is given to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. Let's go on. I will grant my, my two witnesses authority to prophesy for 1,260 days dressed in sackcloth. Now, I'm not, done, I'm not drawing you charts about the end of time, but it says 42 months, 1,260 days. Here's what we know from Scripture. After the rapture, there'll be a, a seven-year period of time ushered in called the tribulation. In fact, the first three and a half Years will be the tribulation. The last three and a half years will be what's called the great tribulation. Now, you're talking about three and a half years. Watch this. They'll trample the city for 42 months. Can anybody tell me out loud? This is a response. Can anybody tell me how long 42 months are? Got it. And then it talks about 1,260 days. Can anybody tell me how long 1,260 days are? Three and a half years. So you see, what's coming about is coming about about the middle of the tribulation. When I read this, when I read this, I am reminded of Romans chapter 1. Three times as at the end of Romans chapter 1 when he's talking about the wrath of God. Three times it says, and God gave up. Or God delivered them up? Or God gave them over? Did all of that, gave them up to the degrading passions that they have? Boy, could that be, could that be a part of today? Gave them up to degrading passions. Gave them up to a futile mind. He gave them up to the craving of their heart. Years ago, I preached a message entitled, The Day God Gave Up. When God gives up, trouble comes. When God gives over, trouble comes. When God excludes, trouble comes. You see, you see, He gave, he gave John this, this reed to measure, this plumb line, told him to evaluate. Told him to exclude. And then, just by extension, he told him to expose some things. He told him to expose some things. He exposed evil for what it is. He exposed evil for what it will be. The holy city will be trampled down by lost people, by Gentiles, for the last half of the tribulation. I suggest that this begins probably at the midpoint when the Antichrist See, the Antichrist, the first uh, half year, first three and a half years will be peaceable and all this. And at the midpoint, he'll go set himself up in the temple, we're told in Scripture, as God. It's called the, the 
desolation of abomination or the abomination of desolation. This is when the Antichrist really begins to show his true colors. This is when things are really about to get bad. So we look at this and we see these 42 months and we think, boy, things are about to get bad. They are, but look, they're about to get good. You know why? That's because of the next thing that he speaks of. He speaks of his two witnesses. His two witnesses. Now, the, the truth is, there's so much discussion about the true witnesses. When the Antichrist is kind of getting comfortable with the fact that he's God, he set himself up in the temple. God appoints, God sends two men. They're two supermen. They're two super spiritual men. They're two spiritual giant men to minister. Now, in your bulletin, you have an outline that looks like this. And I know you already took a breath because you see that this message is not nearly over. But I want you to hang with me because there are, point, there are things all along this that will speak to our hearts today. I want you to see this as we walk through it. See the commencement of their ministry. The commencement of their ministry. How did their ministry begin? How did it get started? And I'll just tell you this. These two men came directly from God with an assignment from God. He says, I will empower my two witnesses. In the darkest times of mankind, God has always sent his men. I want to say that again. In the darkest time of mankind, in the darkest times of creation, in the darkest times of human, mystery, of human history, God has always sent his men. I'll just give you two, for the sake of time, just two illustrations. Genesis 6, he says, God says, <laughs> I regret I made man. And y'all know what followed? The flood, yes. But you know who God sent? He sent Noah. And he told Noah to preach, and Noah preached for 120 years. Then in, I believe it is Second Samuel, is that, maybe First Kings, is that you had King Ahab and his lovely wife Jezebel. And they were just about to get the whole country paganized. And God sent Elijah. You see, the truth is, is that Noah preached. Elijah prophesied. But judgment still came. Because they didn't repent. Here we are as we read these scriptures in the darkest days of this planet. And God once again sends two witnesses carrying his power, carrying his prophecy, carrying his passion, carrying his power. I've already mentioned their clothes, sackcloth, speaks of the repentance that has to happen. The important truth for you to know is that, is that they're empowered by God. People talk about who they might be. Are they Moses, Elijah? Are they Enoch? Are they John the Baptist? And that really doesn't matter. They are from God and they have been sent by God and that's how it com- commences. So I want the second thing I want you to see is the content of their ministry. What in the world are they doing? They are prophesying God's word to the people, and guess what? People don't like it. 
Do you realize that when, when someone really preaches God's Word that people generally don't like it? All, all he's preaching about is repentance. Years ago, I was, I was reading some messages, some sermons from preachers of the day. And, and uh, when they started talking about these two, pre, these two witnesses, they said his mess, the, their message bugged the people. Bugged the people. I mean, it bugged them bad. Do you realize that's exactly what a message from God's Word is supposed to do to us is bug us? Not supposed to step on our toes, just supposed to step on our heart. Vance Havner used to go preach at the, at the uh, uh, Citadel. And he, t- he tells a story that one time after he preached at the Citadel, the old general said, Man, I love it when you preach. You get under these guys' skin. My mentor, Ted Trailer, said to me 20 years ago, that the preaching, good preaching, comforts the hurting and hurts the comfortable. Hearing God's Word always brings about some kind of response. We'll get them into the service. Brother Eric will come up and lead us in a song. And you'll make a decision about God's Word today. It'll either be yes or it'll be no. Anything that's not a yes is a no. Uh, I can wait. I don't have to do this right now. I can do this someplace else. Anything that's not a yes is a no. These two were preaching under the anointing of God's Holy Spirit, given his message, given this message of repentance, call to action. Repentance is the road. That was the content of their message. But I want you to tell you what, when you when you present God's message. There's always confrontation. So see the confrontation of their ministry. You can, you can see it here. You read verse 5 if you want to let your mind hover right there. You get the idea that as John watched these two witnesses, that people attacked them repeatedly. Watch this, verse 5. If anyone wants to harm them, obviously he had seen someone try to harm them. Fire comes from their mouth and consumes their enemy. If anyone wants to harm, anyone wants to harm them... He must be killed in this way. They have the authority to close up the sky so it does not rain during the days of their prophecy. They also have the power to turn over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every plague whenever they want to. You see, the truth is, is that when people attack them, I, I remember the uh, Left Behind movies. Did you see those three Left Behind movies? Did anybody see any of them? Yeah. In one of them, it showed that the two witnesses were, were preaching and they were divinely protected by God. So bullets and everything else bounced off of them. Now, if you're, if you're serving God, that's not a promise that he's always going to make the bullets bounce off of you or the knife bend or something. He just does here because he's making a point. He's called them to a particular ministry, but I will tell you this. The safest place that you can be is inside the will of God. Baker James Cawthon, back in the 70s, was in China. If you, if, you don't, if you don't know that name, he was the head of the what we call the Foreign Mission Board at that time. He was asked, did he feel safe in China when the communist takeover occurred? And he said, I felt safer 
in China in God's will than I would in Dallas, Texas outside of God's will. And he made that statement. The safest place to be is in the center of God's will. Whoever you are, whatever may come against you, if you're in the center of God's will, it will not prevail. But make no mistake, if you are trying your best in your private life, in your personal life, in your daily life, to live for Jesus, you are on a counter-cultural assignment from God, and you are living counter-culturally. If you don't recognize that term, here's what I'm going to tell you it means. We live in a day when our culture tells us what the Bible says is wrong, is right. And when we live according to what's right, the culture is going to tell us that we're wrong. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. He's got it right. I do want to say this as I, before I pass this. For those inside of God's will, trying to live for God, you're going to have basically two points of opposition to you. You're going to obviously have those outside of the body of Christ. And honestly, most of the time, those folks are going to attack you from a position of ignorance because they don't really know. Not stupidity. I didn't call them stupid. I, they're just ignorant to the truth of God's Word. And we should live our lives based on truth. But there will be opposition from inside. People who will attack you from inside. Particularly it's those who are marginally connected to Christ. The only time Jesus has anything to do in their life is when it's on Sunday morning. It's, it's sad. It's I could say it was funny. I probably would have done that younger, but it's, when I was younger, but it's sad about how people get kind of spiritual on Sunday morning. Well, I have enough time for God the rest of the week, but on Sunday morning, spiritual. You see, if you live for Jesus, never forget Jesus will be Jesus was hated. Chances are. We will be too. And I think in these great United States of America that the persecution is coming sooner than we think. The confrontation of their ministry. They don't want you to see the completion of their ministry. And it tells us very clearly in verse 7, when they finished their testimony, the beast comes up, the beast that comes up out of the abyss will make war with them, conquer them, and kill them. Here's what I want to tell you. There always comes a time when a, when a calling, a specific calling comes to an end. When we complete God's calling in our lives, a change is not far down the road. These two ministers, for three and a half years, or whatever period of time they were given, spoke with little 
to no success. When, they, when their time came to an end, when their ministry came to an end, people were still as sinful and as arrogant and as lost as they were before. Reminds me of Noah. 120 years he preached. And the only people who believed him were the members of his family. Everybody else died. Now here we're seeing the same thing. The beast killed the two witnesses. John didn't say he saw the beast coming up out of the abyss. He just knew that's where he came from because how evil he was. They killed and then they laid him in the street. And they refused to bury him. To the Jews, this was the most sacrilege that you could imagine. And people gloated and were happy over their deaths. Depravity at its highest. And you're talking about people seeing them? I want you to think about this. In the day that we live, not a day that, they, that John knew anything about, we have Internet. We have worldwide instant TV. For the time that they preached, can you imagine the news organizations literally planting a camera there and watching them as they fought off people who were trying to destroy them? Can you imagine the daily reports coming? That poor reporter go, well, it's been another day and they killed six other people who tried to kill them. And then the day comes that their ministry is completed. And now they've been killed. The breaking news, the two witnesses are killed. They're dead and they're not going to bury them. And they're just throwing a party. They're gloating over their death. truth is, is that at this time on earth, there's so little of God that remains. So little of God that remains that rejoicing over the death is normal. And they lay there, the Bible says, three and a half days. And you think it's over. In fact, you're looking at, at point number four. You're saying the completion of the ministry. What else is there, Brother Jerry? Well, here's what I want to tell you. I want you to see the coronation. The coronation of these guys. You see, the world, maybe some of us here miss the real truth. Are you listening? I'm about to give you something to hang your life on. Physical life is not all there is. This is boot camp for eternity. Satan and all his demons throw a party. Satan and all his earthlings throw a party over the death of these people. And while they think it's the end, it is the end, but it's the front end because there's some supernatural activity going on behind the scenes. Things that people don't even recognize or know about because here's what I'm going to tell you. They lay dead in the street, but three days later. They lay dead, they lay dead in the street, but three days later. They lay dead in the street, but three days does, it, does that have a familiar ring to anybody? Just like Jesus was in the ground for three days. There was something going on that the world didn't see. And the Bible tells us, after this three and a half days, verse 11, the breath of life from God entered them. Woo! And then they stood on their feet. Now, can I just ask you a question? What would you have done if you'd been standing in their vicinity and they'd been there for three and a half days stinking and they stood up? What would you do? You'd run for cover. 
The next verse, the next word says great fear fell on everybody. Really? Seriously? Is that your story? Is you sti- are you sticking to it? You see, this was their coronation. Nobody saw Jesus resurrect from the grave. Well, the guards did. No, man, they were laying down with their eyes closed. They just knew something was going on. Everybody's going to see these guys. Everybody's going to see the miracle because the Internet and the TV is going to have those cameras on there, and they're not going to be able to debunk it. And not only that, not only that, when they stand on their feet, Stand on their feet. I don't know how long they stand on their feet. I don't know how long they hang around. I don't know what they may say or what they may do after they come back to life. But I know this, that they heard a voice from heaven saying, Come up here. And I don't think they passed go or collected $200. I think they went. I'm telling you. My prayer is today, Lord, even so, come, Lord Jesus. If you want to call me home from this pulpit, I am good. You see, folks, God is faithful. He is faithful to those who trust Him. He is faithful to those who follow Him. He is faithful to those who hear Him. Have you trusted Him? Have you followed Him? Have you heard Him? Have you committed to Him? Have you given your life to Him? Or do you just give your Sunday mornings to Him? Occasionally, Sunday mornings. We were talking about it the other day. Do you realize, and you know how much I love you, so I've got guests. This is not, I'm not throwing down on I'm just, it's the truth. Have you ever thought about that if we got all, all our people here at the same time, they would have to set people. The kids had to come up. Teenagers had to come here and sit on the floor. There'd be no room for everybody. Because we attend in shifts. This week we have this shift. The next week we have this. So I don't know who's on shift A, B, C, or D. I ask you today, have you given, and you're going, well, Brother Jerry, some people have to work. Man, don't try to take that where it doesn't belong. Some people do have to work. We certainly understand that. We have a lot of medical professionals who are taking care of people during this time on Sunday morning. That's good. They're taking care of people. But you just tell me this. That's the only people that miss. That's the only people who choose not to come. Are you going to, is that your story? Are you going to stick to it? What I want to tell you is we don't have an attendance problem. We don't have a... Money problem, we don't have a fellowship problem, we generally have heart problems. Heart problems are serious. Because we choose other things other than Jesus. These guys chose Jesus and their coronation was, oh, what they got to show the world. They heard the voice come up. And so we see this last thing the consequence of their ministry. After they were done, when their ministry was over, when God's people caught them away, watch this, at that moment, verse 13, at that moment, a violent earthquake, a violent earthquake took place. You see, and I just... Put it in perspective, 10% of the holy city was destroyed. Some 7,000 people were killed. The, Greeks, the, Greek, um, the Greek language here doesn't just say 7,000 people. It says 7,000 named people. 
That means leaders. Those who remain. This is interesting. Those who, what's this? The survivors were terrified. No lie. And gave glory to the God of heaven. Now, that's an interesting note that they gave glory to the God of heaven. But listen, they didn't give God their lives. Do you know that? You can give God glory and hang on to your life. You can recognize who he is, but still stay in control of your lives. I want to suggest to you, I want to submit to you this morning as we end that this is our modern day malady. We give him glory. We recognize him for who he is. We sing songs to him. But to give him our life costs too much. We've got too much to do. We have too much life to live, too many places to go, too many sins to commit to give him our lives. So we're just satisfied to recognize him and literally reject his offer of salvation or reject his call to discipleship. When I was thinking about this, God reminded me that the call of Jesus in the New Testament was never come be a Christian, was never come be a church member. It was really wasn't come to faith. His initial call was come follow me. And as far as I know, Jesus never extended another call to anyone. His words were, follow me. They wouldn't have followed him if they didn't have faith in him. They wouldn't have left their boats. They wouldn't have left their jobs. They wouldn't have left their families. They wouldn't have left their home if they hadn't trusted him. But the call was to follow him. And the call today to you and me is to follow. God's plan is unfolding and his plan for you and me is for us to follow him. Faith and trust are always involved. But it's more than that. We follow his unfolding plan. Just like we cling to his hand. Let's pray together.